all. Welcome to the Ground Game Podcast. I'm your host, Bushido Squirrel, and today we're talking to Rachel Rays from uh, No Olympics LA. Uh, how are you doing today, Rachel? Really good, thank you. So the Olympics are a big thing that Mayor Garcetti is trying to plan, uh, coming up to 2028. Do we want to, let's go over the, the history a little bit of like how we ended up here and how LA got the bid. Yeah, so essentially LA got here because our Mayor Eric Garcetti, as you said, really deeply wants to be president. And so one of the things that we've seen throughout throughout the country with folks like Mitt Romney is that if you can bring the Olympics, something that people really love to your city, that is a really big deal. People love that. So Garcetti has tried and failed several times to get football stadiums and other kind of sports things <laughs> into the city. It hasn't worked. But for whatever reason, when they were looking for host cities for 2024, that was his moment. Um, obviously, we ended up partnering with Paris. They got 2024, so we got 2028. Um, by we, I mean him, mm-hmm. right? Because it like, wasn't put up for debate or discussion with the city. He just decided unilaterally, cool, we can't get 2024. We'll get 2028. And now we're here. But also, this was a pretty restricted bidding process. Like, there weren't that many. There were only two cities bidding, right? So that's why we did the 2024-2028. What happened to Boston? Boston's... Boston organized. They had like an entire setup very similar to ours. Um, The difference with Boston was that their city and their journalists were interested in hearing from folks who lived in Boston. So there was a lot more polling, there was a lot more data, and it showed that folks who lived in Boston did not want the Olympics. And so their public actually really was able to come together and get them to just say no to the Olympics in their city, which is great. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. But yeah, as you said, a lot of cities were not clamoring for it. I think people know now it's kind of bad. So let, let's talk a little bit about that, because the Olympics are sold to cities as like being almost free. The corporate sponsors are going to take care of everything, all the tax revenue you bring in. What are the actual costs of the Olympics to cities that host them? Um, monetarily, I couldn't tell you how much LA will cost because they don't know how much it will cost. Mm. But what we talk about in terms of cost are like qualitative, right? Folks who are going to be displaced, folks will become um, unhoused because of the Olympics, the further militarization of police. And as you know, you live in LA, LAPD is the most murderous force in the country. So actual cost of the Olympics, people's lives, people's homes, people's quality of life, um, those are the kinds of costs that I am interested in talking about actual monetary costs we just don't know because they do not have a budget and when the Olympics wrap up I assume the militarized police and everything that's all just gonna go away right that doesn't stick around after the games (laughs) Uh, I mean look at LAPD now you know we had 84 that we have the 84 Olympics and any Olympics there's a ramp up in the amount of police that we see in a city so we heard from um, an LAPD like liaison spokesperson on KPCC, I believe, threw out a number that was about 2,500 additional police officers. Just for the games. Just for the games. Wow. And that's now 10 years, 10 years out. So that number is obviously going to increase because of the fact that we already have a housing crisis. So we're seeing more unhoused people on the streets. LAPD uses that as a reason to try to get more funding, try to get more police. And again, 10 years from now, that crisis is not going to go away. We're going to have more folks living on the street. So we're probably going to have an even higher number of police being hired to police folks on the street, get them 
imprisoned essentially. So it's yeah, I mean, and it's not going to go away. It didn't go away after '84. And and '84 has a pretty rosy outlook. Like when people look back on '84, because it is a games where technically they didn't lose money. Uh, what they forget to mention is that half the world didn't show up because the USSR was boycotting it over the Afghan war, uh, their their turn in Afghanistan. So when we look back at, at 84 with rose-colored glasses, what are we missing? Oh, a lot of things. So my, my mom, actually shout out to my mom, she loved the 84 Olympics. I'm an Angelino born and raised, so was my mother. And she went to a few of the games here and just thought it was great. It was yeah. horrified initially <laughs> that I was organizing with no Olympics. But um, what people miss out on is the environmental impact. Um, like I said, folks who are getting displaced, we don't know how many people could have still been living in the city and contributing to changing the culture and making it better because they were kicked out. Um, people who were incarcerated. There were a lot of things that we don't see and 84 specifically, right, was like, I think, one of the only, if not the only Olympics that was profitable. Mm. I'm saying that in quotes. Um, because it was saved by all the corporate sponsors. Yes, taxpayers didn't pay anything in that Olympics. But I think it was McDonald's that came and, like, saved the day because they were essentially out of money. Um, but uh, folks also like to talk about the fact there are parks, you know, the 84 Foundation. There's all these cool benches and stuff. But um, actually, the communities don't get to decide where those parks are built, where the benches are built, where the swimming pools, basketball, basketball courts, etc. That's decided by the IOC. So the city itself does not get a say in where all of these cool, fun things the Olympics might bring up. And this brings me to an interesting point. So with the the IOC, I actually have a personal connection to their their uh, um, corruption, as it were. Uh, yeah, my parents, uh, one of their their um, uh, real estate brokers back in Arizona, um, and you can tell I grew up rich and white because every period of my life has a different house attached to it. So the house we lived at in high school, uh, our broker was on the IOC. Uh, and then kicked off it because it turned out she had lied on her resume about all of her Harvard credentials. But that is very low-level corruption for the IOC. So I was hoping we could talk a little bit about their black box and who they are as an organization because they're very shady. Yes, they are very shady. Let me I have some notes about this because the IOC is so shady. Um, so the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, um, it's full of really awful people. Uh, Casey Wasserman is uh, part of... The <laughs> and he's a name around L.A. Perhaps you could fill people in on, on what his claim to fame is, or yeah. infamy, as it were. Ooh, yes. So Casey Wasserman um, is very close with Eric Garcetti. He's also a fellow Angelino, uh, born and raised. His, his family, his dad and his grandfather, are known money launderers. Um, that's pretty much how they got their name. And Casey Wasserman's PR company is actually called Laundry Services. So it's a play off of money laundering. So he's a cool guy. But he is chair or was chair of the bid committee uh, for 2024, now 2028. Now that we have been awarded the bid, he is just the chair of the organizing committee. So him and Garcetti go way back. They were actually the ones who were trying to get sports stuff in LA, what I had mentioned earlier, and they just continuously failed. He just has a ton of money that he's trying to use. Um, he's a little bit smarter about it because he's fairly invisible. Um, his name is known, but a lot of people don't know what he looks like. He's not like Garcetti, and not like he's like very famous, obviously. Um, but he's kind of funneling money to different places. Um, his PR firm actually represents Papa John. I, I think they pulled that over the whole, like, yeah, Papa right. John being forced to say the N-word, uh, which, of all the explanations I've heard before, uh, just yeah. the, the craziest. But So they're another one of these L.A. dynasty families. And it seems like that's a big theme here is we have these, like, long-running strands of money that want to tell us what to do with our city. 
Where's the press in this? Because like the LA Times is very kind of checked out. We had it's it's funny I didn't plan this, but we had Alyssa Walker on uh, last weekend, uh, and like Curbed is kind of they they seem a little pro Olympics, but they're not. They did that good story on the displacement from '84, but they still kind of want to see the games. But uh, it, it it seems like the press really isn't digging into this as much as one would hope to see. Like we're not seeing that Boston thing. And where do you think the disconnect is there? I mean, we are a news desert in LA, essentially, right? Like a lot of our local news got shut down or bought out by <laughs> Orange County developers. Um, there's all this like nefarious things happening because I think it's really similar to what's happening throughout the country. Like there's just not a lot of local news outlets, mm-hmm. TV stations, newspapers, what have you. Um, and for whatever reason, our media is more interested in hyping up Garcetti, probably because they know him, probably because mm-hmm. they've all been funneled to the same schools. Um, also, like talking about Russia, talking about national politics, which is great. We need to talk about national politics, of course. But even the way they're talking about national politics isn't great. Like we're talking yeah. about Russia every day. Um, so I think that our our local news game needs to step up. And I think there's a lot of activists and organizers who are starting their own um their own news organizations was just great um, and we need that and I'm hoping that like those folks curbed I know yeah they're a little bit more reformist than I would like them to be um, whereas like I'm a full-on Olympics abolitionist <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I think that like okay like that's kind of starting up the LAist you know they've been I've had some criticism in the past yeah. month um, yeah. <laughs> but I'm hoping that we can just get more folks to just start their own outlets we need yeah. to like we need our own our own way of doing things it's weird to me that like Los Angeles County is essentially the 10th biggest state in the nation and yet getting news about LA is almost important it's like or almost impossible it's like pulling teeth you would uh, uh, no Olympics have had a really strong social media game I wanted to chat a little bit about that and like the strengths and weaknesses of that and how that works with your organizing and your activism yeah so I think for for myself personally as an organizer and as an activist for me, what brought me to No Olympics was the sheer amount of information that I did not know. Um, I'm a member of DSALA, the Democratic Socialists of America, and when I went to my first Housing and Homelessness Committee meeting, um, which is the committee that No Olympics was born out of, I think I took notes the entire time. I had no idea what was going on in my own backyard. And I used to organize in LA when I was in high school with the Bus Riders Union, so I knew that there were a lot of you know, bad things happening. but. I was just very overwhelmed with the housing crisis in LA um, and I got plugged into No Olympics that way. And so it was this educational aspect for me that was so important. So as an organizer, I like to educate, which is why I think our social media game is so important because it's such an easy way of showing people statistics, pictures, any kind of like fact that we want to give them. It's the easiest way to do it. And it's also the way that most people get their news now is like opening up Twitter, opening up Instagram. Um, You can have your opinions on whether or not that's the best way of getting your news, but that's how I get my news personally. So I actually got brought on to to organizing with No Olympics. Somebody showed me a meme (laughs) at a meeting about Garcetti. And I was like, that's hilarious. Yeah, I don't like Garcetti either. And that's kind of how it started. And so I think that that, it's that little like spark of like, oh, okay, I see an Olympic sticker or I see something on Twitter about Garcetti, like some kind of meme. And it gets you thinking it's that conversation starter. It's been so important to us at No Olympics. Um, I know that our social media has been monitored by LAPD. (laughs) So I think we're definitely making a name for ourselves. And it has brought people on. We've got donations that way via Twitter, via our website. So it's been an incredible tool for organizing. Um, I think the only downside of that is obviously getting harassed on Twitter. But, you know, I've had a Twitter for about 10 years, so I'm used to that. Yeah. 
but it's been great for us. No, it can be like kind of weird because I had a, a, a period uh, about a year ago, actually, I got laid off by Defy Media. I was working for Screen Junkies about a month before our boss got outed as a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad person. And so like I, I aired my dirty laundry online because like if you lay me off with for no reason, I'm probably going to come back with receipts. And people were very angry about that uh, at me. And I kind of learned to like get over that. How do you all deal with the backlash? And do you do you worry about that PR game? Because I always want to be more radical. Um, but with especially with like ground game and our activism, we have a little bit more leash to do that. We're not tied to a large institution like like DSA necessarily. So how do you ride that line? That's a good question. <laughs> so I um, all of my my Twitter account is public and has my full name on it, and it it always has, and I don't intend on changing it. So in terms of being radical or loud online, I'm happy to do that with my own name. Um, and I think that it's very obvious that I speak for myself. I, you know, dunk on Garcetti pretty much daily. Um, he's only responded to me once, um, but I'm hoping we can talk more in the future. Um, but that being said, no Olympics. I think uh, the folks who are in charge of our social media, they do walk a very fine line of having to, like, check in with DSA and, like, make sure we're not. Um, you know, crossing any lines with what we do. But by and large, like it's a, you know, the organization as a whole in LA, they love what we do and they support what we do. I think a lot of folks know about DSA because they encountered No Olympics yeah. initially. So that's great. And I think that we do a good job of bringing folks into the larger org. Um, and I don't, you know, I think that our clapbacks are, are pretty accurate. Most of what folks will argue with us online about is, whether or not the Olympics are good or you hate sports, which is, no, we don't, we don't hate sports. I, I love sports. <laughs> Most of us do. Um, but that's kind of what it is. Like, oh, it's just a bit of fun. Why are you complaining? It's just like weird criticisms. Like, why are you standing up for, you know, a corporation and a brand? Like, it's just like a weird thing. So I think most of the time we don't even respond. Um, and I stop myself from responding a lot of the times too, because there's really no point. Like, yeah. I'm not gonna engage with a bootlicker who like really likes, you know, like PNG, <laughs> like it's just bizarre. when the when the Muskin Raiders come out of the the woodwork, you don't really need to like engage with every single one of yeah. them. What yeah, exactly. Yeah, if it's a if it's a genuine question, which sometimes we do get, um, it'll pretty much come in a DM, and it's someone who actually just wants to know more. And I've made a lot of friends that way who um, have changed their opinion over time just by having a conversation. So I'm happy to engage with folks like that. But yeah, I mean, somebody who's like, looks are great, stop complaining. I don't I don't need to talk to you. And, and so this leads me into my next one. What is it like organizing outside of the social media sphere? I, I assume you're dealing with the small business community, with local leaders. Like, who are you targeting? What are you trying to get them to not necessarily agree to, but what are you trying to push them towards or trying to get them to see? Yeah, so I think most people, when you talk to them, know that the Olympics are bad and understand that displacement is bad and gentrification is bad um, because they see it happening every single day. So it's it's almost putting a face to their conditions that that's the most important thing. People know that it's happening. People know that their family members, their friends are being killed by LAPD. We don't need to convince them or tell them that. What it is, is is tying everything together, right? Um, tying together like how the Olympics will exacerbate all of those conditions, tying together how LAPD is going to exacerbate those conditions, how Eric Garcetti, his lack of leadership is contributing to all of that, um, and how the Olympics in 10 years will make it all worse. So it's really just starting that conversation. We will talk to anybody. That's one of our biggest things, and that's one of my favorite things about No Olympics is that I will talk to anybody about it. I will talk to school teachers, children, teenagers, small business owners, like actually 
anybody. I wish I spoke every language that people speak in LA so that I could talk to more people about it. But one of the things we really want to do this year is get into schools way more. We've we've talked at universities before. I'm really keen on getting into high school classrooms and talking about it. Um, it's something that I think I can probably do more by the end of the year. But I just think that talking to students, this new wave of voters, I think that young people are really activated right now. And I think um, if we can talk to people who are from LA, who live in LA, about why the Olympics are bad um, at a younger age, like, because like I said, it's in 10 years. Like, I could talk to somebody who's 15 now who, you know, if we get a ballot measure potentially, they could vote, like, you know, they could vote on it, which would be cool. So, um, so yeah, we will talk to. And this kind of drives to also something I'm seeing with the No Olympics critique is it's not just about the Olympics. Like, this is about the heart of L.A., as it were. And I think that's one reason you see a lot of blowback is people get very defensive about their city and wanting to believe it's a really good place. But this is a really intersectional thing. And what are the things that you're finding are most effective when talking to people? Like, LAPD is obviously a big one. But what are the things do people not realize before that conversation begins? I think it's housing. I, I think that what... I think there's a lot there's a lot of threats for housing. Um, one of our priorities in DSA right now is trying to get Costa Hawkins repealed. Um, mm-hmm. It's on the ballot in November Prop 10. If we can get Costa Hawkins repealed, we can try to push for stronger or just any rent control in general in the city of LA. Um, why that is important is because a lot of people are getting priced out of where they live. Angelinos, people who are from here, cannot afford to live in the city. So what's happening is that they're either leaving to somewhere cheaper or they're living on the streets because a lot of folks have jobs here still. They're not just going to quit their job and move somewhere else. You need money to live, um, but they can't. So they're living on the streets in tents or in their cars if they're lucky enough to have them. So there's like that thread. Then there's also this like cultural understanding of of homelessness. People think that if you're unhoused, you're lazy, you don't have a job, you know, whatever. There's just like this negative critique of um, homelessness, which just isn't accurate. It never has been, but especially now that it's, we have this new face of homelessness um, that we saw happen in Sydney after the Olympics and right up before the Olympics. And it's going to keep happening in LA. People cannot afford to live here. Um, And having that conversation with people is a hard one because I know a lot of people who still live at home. I still live at home. I'm from here. I have a job that actually pays fairly well. I cannot afford to live here and pay all of my bills. Um, And so that's a conversation I've had with many people or folks who live in a house share with like seven or eight other people and they're still paying over a thousand dollars for like a shared room. It's actually really ridiculous. Um, And and so that that's a conversation that we've been having with people um and a lot of the talk about displacement and gentrification has directly to do with housing um if you can't afford to live in a city you have to move um the reason why you can't afford there is because developers are pushing the prices up or they're deliberately building really expensive housing that only certain people can afford and that's what we're seeing it's happened all over the east side they're trying to have it start happening past the 10 or south of the 10 rather and it's just going to keep getting worse. And so making those connections with people has been really rewarding and it has been happening. And it seems like it's something, the the problem of people being housed, uh, unhoused rather, is something that uh, Garcetti and LA City Council is trying to sweep under the rug. Like Garcetti just announced that he wants to undo the protections of the Jones Act. Uh, and do you think this is like he's really trying to solve homelessness or he's just trying to do a facelift before his presidential bid? Yeah, that's all he's doing. Right? Garcetti wants to be president so badly that he is just ignoring his constituents. He doesn't give a sh- 
he doesn't care about anybody. Um, and he is just ignoring this growing problem. It's not going to get better because you're not doing anything to make it better. Um, there are so many development projects all over the city that are not explicitly free housing or subsidized or low income. They're just luxury housing. We already have luxury apartment buildings in downtown that are not full. They're oh, yeah. ghost towns. Like, why are we building more? Um, so he's he's doing that and he's saying that we're going to eradicate homelessness by 2028 by the Olympics. No, we're not. Because what are you doing? Like, all of the measures we've passed have gone nowhere. And it's not just because of red tape. It's because they don't actually want to do these things. Our politicians are not taking care of their constituents, and that includes unhoused people. It really does, and it needs to. And I think our politicians just do not see that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just he just wants to clean the city up. You know, I do street watch with our housing and homelessness committee that is born out of a program from LA Can, Los Angeles Community Action Community Action Network. And I have spoken with so many people who live on the streets who tell me all the time uh, the police officers offer them one way tickets wherever they want to go. They just want to get them out of LA. That is not how you deal with the problem. You cannot make people, humans, actual people, someone else's problem. Like these are our residents. They are our neighbors. They are our friends. We see them every single day. We need to actually help them. We need politicians who are willing to do that and not just spend their time running for president. Um, it's just incredibly frustrating to see how much he ignores the people in his city. Well, and especially like with the Occupy ICE thing, I've been meeting a lot of people who were displaced uh, and have immigration issues or can't access like basic health care because they're not American citizens, even though they've lived here their entire lives. And as much as Garcetti says that he's like anti-ICE or wants to reform ICE and anti-DHS, he doesn't seem that way. Uh, what do you think What do you think he's getting from the feds? How much is Garcetti in control of like bringing the Olympics versus how much is like the federal government invested in that? Garcetti is <laughs> at at the uh, the March for Families. Is that what it was called? Yeah, at the March for Families. families belong yeah, families belong together that first March. I was working, so I couldn't go, unfortunately. But I was told that during his speech that was drowned out by a lot of people shouting, shouting abolish ICE, um, he said that we need ICE to do their job. Yeah. So he's not anti-ICE. Garcetti loves cops. He just does. Um, we are not a sanctuary city. We're a city of sanctuary, as he put it, but we're not a sanctuary city. So Garcetti blatantly does not care about undocumented people. He does not care about the fact that a large percentage of the city is undocumented. Um, as I said earlier, like with, un with our unhoused folks, they are also your neighbors. They are your friends. Um, we need to take care of each other, and Garcetti needs to take care of us as our mayor. He represents us, and he's not. Um, he is allowing LAPD to work with ICE. He's allowing them to go into jails to pull folks who are undocumented. He is not protecting the protesters. He wasn't even here when Occupy um, ICE started in the city. Yeah. Um, he, he flew all the way to Texas to broadcast detention when it's like, dude, you could have just walked across the street. Yeah, and you also could have made LA a sanctuary city. So I don't want to hear about how families belong together from you if you are not going to defend that for the people in your city. It's just ridiculous. Um, so I, sorry, I just like, I don't even know. Your yeah, question, I'm just so no, mad. That's, that's, no, that's fine. Um, to, to, <laughs> to, to, to kind of move on, uh, what are the points of inflection you see here? Because like social media campaigns and everything are great, but that doesn't necessarily build power in a city like LA. What's the tip of the spear? How do you think we, we finally get politicians to move? Mm, well, as, 
as an electoral politics lover, <laughs> my answer is we get folks who whose values align with ours into office. Mm-hmm. We we kick Garcetti out. We ensure that he never becomes president. We run, um, we we run politicians who are ourselves or people we know who do not want the Olympics in LA. And we put those folks into office and we have them lobby for us the way the politicians should. They should be representing their people and not corporate interests, which is what Garcetti is doing. Um, So my response to that would just be get folks into office who can undo it because it's possible. Once a city has been awarded a bid, it can be undone. It's been done before. Um, And we have 10 years, so we can definitely do that. Um, But I think, you know, doing what we have been doing, showing up to his house, uh, targeting other politicians who are not just Garcetti. Curran Price in CD9 wants to knock down buildings that um, are uh, and displace about 100 people mm-hmm. for the Olympics to build luxury hotel rooms. In the letter, you know, in his proposal, he states it's for the Olympics. So we need to target politicians like that who are who are doing stuff just for the Olympics and are really going to displace people. That's something that's happening right now. The fig development that is going to displace people. Mm. Um, and we need to be targeting people like him. Hey, fortunately, there are uh, every odd numbered uh, district uh, city council seat. No, sorry. Even numbered city council seats are up in 2020 and then the rest of them in 2022. Uh, when when we're dealing with something like the Olympics, it's frustrating because so much of this is controlled at the top. You know, there's so much like a lot of these decisions are made in a black box and kind of can be forced upon the city of L.A. without a lot of like pushback. What do you want to see change there in terms of like people's voice or like reaching politicians? Because Boston was able to basically drum up a survey that proved, hey, people don't want this and use that as a cudgel against their politicians. What do you want to see L.A. doing? How do you want to see people getting ahead? So we have something like that in the works. Something like that in the works. We're also keeping tabs on Garcetti. Um, So that's a little preview of what's to come. We know where he's been and we're ready to talk about it. Um, What I want to see happen with folks in L.A., um, obviously join us at Olympics, but if you can't, just have these conversations. Give us ideas. Like, I don't know what most people want to see. What I want to see are our folks and our organizers at every city council meeting on bids. I want us in neighborhood councils. Um, I want our voice represented and I I want our politicians to have to respond to us um, until we can get folks in office who are like us. They need to be responding to us. They need to be answering us. Um, You know, two weekends ago, they uh, some folks at Olympics were at Garcetti's house woke him up at 7 a.m. and, you know, just hit him hard on the fact that he's not helping unhoused people. We're not a sanctuary city and ICE is still operating in Los Angeles. And doing things like that, I think, is really helpful. We get press. We get folks who might not otherwise have known us to know about us. So as long as we can keep that, like, educational aspect and, like, get our name out there, hopefully people with money can fund surveys um, and do stuff like that. Hopefully KPCC and NPR, local radio stations will start talking about us. They have to. They can't keep ignoring it. You know, the Olympics is going to come in 10 years. We don't want it to. But as this ball keeps rolling until we get it to stop, people have to talk about us and talk about the opposition. So just 
get the conversation going is what I want to happen. And it can be really frustrating here in LA. I know with um, decolonized City Hall and then again with us at Occupy ICE, City Hall has kind of a standing agreement that you don't talk about the protests in general, which is weird because we keep getting cover photos. Um, and it's a fairly effective like media silencing policy that they have. And it's, it's frustrating for the LA Times at the same time, or it's frustrating to see the LA Times and other organizations doing that. At the same time, there is one thing I do kind of like coming out of the Olympics, which is the 28 by 28, um, because I want those trains. A, that seems like extortion to me that we have to get the games. But B, how do we keep that momentum going? Where we're like, hey, we have these good plans, but we don't want to sell our city to Coca-Cola in order to get a train to the valley. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, transportation is a big deal in Los Angeles. I told Yeah. I mean... We could do it now if we wanted to. We could solve the housing crisis right now if we wanted to. All of the problems that we have, we could solve. Um, We just don't want to. So I think that we need to keep reminding our politicians that, you know, we like what I just said, we can actually fix this. We have the money to invest in trains and invest in buses, buses which don't displace people, by the way. Like, I'm a really firm believer in buses. Um, If we wanted to invest in Metro, we could, and we still should. Like, I think that we need to have a better, more robust public transit system in Los Angeles. It is laughable that we don't. Um, With the amount of tourism that we have, you would think that the city would have tried harder to do this by now because a lot of folks who are coming to LA are from European cities, are from the East Coast who already are used to public transit systems. Um, That's beside the point. We do, I think, need to hit back on like, okay, if we don't get the games, we still need to get these things, though, because we still need we still need transit. We need to help people who need to use the trains, who need to use the bus, um, who don't have cars. It's an environmental issue, but it's also just an issue of of like socioeconomic. Like if you're going to make people travel all the way to Santa Monica, if they live in the valley, that's my personal story. I would like to not have to drive on the 405 every single day, twice a day. I'd like to be able to take a train you know, from the valley to the west side. Without having to go all the way through downtown and then... Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's... It takes forever. It's so... Fr- and I, I like the expo line. I live by that. And it's it's handy, but, like, the at-grade thing makes very little sense to me uh, because it's very slow and it keeps getting hit by cars who don't see the train. And it's, it, it's frustrating. Uh, but it, it, still in this mode, I was wondering, what would a good Olympics look like to you? Like, is there a way to, like, fix the IOC or is there a, a formation of the IOC that's not evil? Because, um, like... I don't think the Olympics are going away anytime soon, but this model of corporate ownership of this, like, humanities games thing is so broken, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, a profit motive breeds abuse, and the IOC needs to be abolished. (laughs) I think the Olympics need to be abolished. I don't think that there's a good way to do it because it's, it's, you know, paid for by corporations. Um, It would have to be, you know, I don't know, local games people just playing at your park that's the olympics right like playing pickleball with with people who live in the same city as you um i don't think that you know i I think that it's really beautiful that we can watch athletes from all over the world do these really incredible things and and their bodies are works of art and it's incredible i can't do that so it's great to watch someone else you know swim for hours but it's not necessary. It's not like a necessary thing. And it's created so much corruption. It's created so much. It's just wreaked so much havoc on so many cities, Rio, London, Sydney, Sochi, like the list goes on. Um, And 
I just don't think it needs to happen. There's no reason for it to happen. These athletes are being abused. Cities are being abused. Like the people who live in the cities, like it's just all bad. It's just not good. It doesn't seem worth it to me. So my opinion is no Olympics, but there are some folks who believe in, you know, a reformed Olympics. That's great. I'm not there. And L.A. is a very international city and obviously like the Olympics and trying to bring the games here is to try and like make it a prestige like international city. But we're that before the games. We're a, a very diverse, very dense city with a lot of different cultures. What would you like to see the world or what would you like to show the world of L.A.'s diversity that's not like in the Olympics in this package kind of sports like pro corporate sold way? What's the actual L.A. you want to sell? I mean, you know, my favorite thing about L.A., and I was gone for school and work for about seven years, um, and I came back two years ago, and what always draws me back to L.A. is that you can you can meet anybody here. You can meet absolutely anybody here. You can eat any kind of food you want to eat. You can see art from every corner of the world. It's, it's an incredibly diverse place, as you said, and diverse in so many ways. Um, and... I don't know. You know, the weather's great. <laughs> we just have everyone's nice. Um, well, I feel like so much of the history that makes L.A. special, like Little Filipino Town, uh, Chinatown, like these things are being erased. Yes. The names are still being used to sell stuff. I think the the most egregious example I can think of is uh, in Colorado, in Denver. They have the Rhinoceropolis um Art District, which is named after the Rhinoceropolis Art Co-op, which they shut down after the ghost fire, but kept the name. And I see that happening in L.A. And it's very frustrating because that's our history. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, it's like you can't have an arts district without artists because you've displaced them. Um, If you go to the east side, people are waiting like an hour to eat. It's like some taco place. So we saw as well with uh, the Mariachi Plaza evictions uh, in Boyle Heights, they were going to completely displaced an entire building full of mariachis um to make way for luxury apartments that didn't it didn't happen um their rents i think were like marginally increased but not too much um so we they were able to save um a lot of folks who lived in mariachi plaza are still living there which is good but that's why housing is such a big issue um and that's why we really need to be keen on not allowing developers to run throughout our city doing whatever they want, which our mayor is letting them do. Um, And that's why it just always goes back to Garcetti. It goes back to your local politicians, which is why local politics are so important. But but L.A. needs, we just need, uh, Angelinos need to be represented. Folks who were born and raised here need to be represented. We need to be able to have Filipino people living in Filipino town. Um, And, you know, artists and arts districts and you need to be able to go to taco trucks and like not wait an hour outside of that Tex-Mex place in Highland Park. Like that's not why. That's not an Angelino own and run business. Like why are you doing that? Why am I paying $20 for chilequiles in Little Tokyo? That makes no sense. Um, So yeah, the city is changing because of displacement and gentrification and that needs to stop. Um, And one of the ways that we do that is just getting local people involved in their city councils, in their neighborhood councils to say that like, this city should be for us. We should have a say in where, how the money is spent, how our tax dollars are spent. I don't think a lot of people are super happy that over 50% of our taxes go to LAPD when all they do is kill us and get away with it. And people need to be mad about that. And I just don't think enough people are mad about it. And I think once 
they learn that, they're mad about it, and then we need to activate those people to go and yell at their politicians. And if their politicians won't listen, then we will run and we will win and we'll do it ourselves. Yeah, I, I found the best way to radicalize normies, as it were, is literally just the facts. Because um, people are shocked. Like, when you're like, $2 billion to LAPD every year, they're like, wait, that doesn't seem right. Like, even though I'm rich and live in Brentwood, that seems like an excessive amount for LAPD. Uh, so what can people do to get involved? Like, what can they do to get involved with No Olympics? Uh, any events that you want to rep? Stuff coming up on the calendar? Oh, yeah. So our uh, next committee meeting is next Sunday at 2 o'clock. It will be at LA Can. We also have events going on with our DSA chapter in Long Beach. So next Saturday from 5 to 7, we will be screening some movies and having speakers down in Long Beach. All of those events will be on our DSA calendar, nice. which is just DSA la.org slash calendar. Um, you can Google that um, and get plugged in. We have Twitter, as you yeah. said. It's just No Olympics LA. Um, it's a great it's a great follow. <laughs> You'll see a lot of pictures and funny things um, and a lot of facts. As you yeah. said, we dunk on Garcetti every day with facts. And yeah, it's just fun. So just, you know, hit us up. Excellent. And uh, anything before we leave? Please. Ooh. Like, any last thoughts you want to leave people with? Because this is a pretty radical conversation, you know? The Olympics are always, like, at least as long as I've grown up, and I, re I was here for the 84 games, I've still got the little eagle with the American top hat thing, like, yeah. stuffed. Oh, yeah, 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 I've still got that dude from being very young. Um, but they seem like such a natural thing. Um, and people, like, in order to get people to start thinking about that, they have to step outside of their normal kind of sphere of, of thinking about the city and the world. So what, what do you want to give people to take away and start thinking new ways? I guess that just because things have always been done doesn't mean it has to keep happening that way. And one of the most powerful things that I've learned uh, moving back to LA and getting involved with activism here is that each of us really does have the ability to change to change our cities, to change our conditions. And we do that through collective organizing and with other people. All you need to do is talk to your friend, come to a DSC meeting or go to LA Can, or come to an Olympics meeting if you just want to do that. There's so many ways to get involved through the city, and you can change the way it looks, you can change the way it operates, you just have to want to do it. And that's been the most scary, but also powerful thing that I've learned, and it's been incredibly liberating. Yeah, uh, since Los Angeles has a bit of a power vacuum, uh, there's a lot of ways to jump in, and it's amazing how quickly you can start doing stuff, which is also a little scary for a city this size, but it gives you a lot of opportunities to build power. So thank you very much, Rachel, for all the work that y'all are doing. Um, and for keeping it up, and I look forward to hearing more. Thanks so much. Never fall.